Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you today from London, England. I am in transit from Accra, headed back to New York. And I have this wonderful opportunity to catch up with an old, old, old colleague that I've known since I started doing my work in Accra, and she's definitely bi-continental like myself, so I'm just happy that I was able to catch up with her and have this conversation. She is the CEO and Executive Director of the Sesame Square Foundation in Abuja, Nigeria, where she manages and oversees all aspects of the education research and outreach departments of the Sesame Square Project. In this capacity, she also develops teacher training and other educative materials, providing trainings for teachers, guardians, and educational officers, among others. And that is among her other leadership and implementation duties around this wonderful, wonderful, I think, global, worldwide, world-renowned literacy project and program. ILBC Osantusa, better known as BC, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Florence. It's nice to be here. Yes, wonderful. So let's jump right in. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Okay. So I'm from Nigeria. I'm from Kwara mm-hmm. State in Nigeria. Um, but I live in between Nigeria and the United States and um, reside mostly in Nigeria in Abuja. That's where the head office is for the projects that we're doing for Sesame Workshop New York. And my crafts. My craft is edutainment, which okay. is entertaining children and slipping in education so that as they're having fun and they're learning at the same time. So I think that's my craft. Nice, 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 nice. So how did you come upon this work with in education and entertainment? Growing up in the U.S., um, my foundational years were here up to high school. Then I moved back to Nigeria for my university. One of the things that I'm proud of is the foundational education that I received here in the U.S. I think it's, it has blessed me in many ways of making me creative and dynamic in my dealings, in my, in my workspace, and in my interaction with people. And benefiting from that, I felt the need to share. So when I was looking for jobs after university, a teaching position came up, which I took. And then later on, I ended up working at the American International School in Abuja. And that further motivated me to look for a space where I can make a bigger impact in the lives of children. So while in the education world, I was offered an opportunity one of the parents, Moji Shodendie Banks, I remember her, she was working on a USID project and she and I had been, she was a parent and um, I was working as an admin officer then at a regent school. And she said, Misty, this job will be perfect for you. I think you need to come into the nonprofit world and touch the lives of children the way you've touched the life of my children in the school. And she offered me uh, a position of a project officer. And we were working in Abuja then, Lagos and Kano and Nasara State. So that's how it began. Okay. Wow. So you, you, you grew up primarily in the U.S. then? Yes. In Norman, Oklahoma, to be okay. precise. And so tell us about that journey. Like, how did your, I too grew up in the U.S. And so, and Sesame played a big role in my growing up as well, just because I loved, you know, Grover and Bert and Ernie (laughs) and all of that. But your family made a trip across the oceans to be in the U.S. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that took place and then what what it was like growing up in Oklahoma? Yeah, my my father started the journey. He came to the Mm -hmm. United States for education. He's a nurse Mm -hmm. and he wanted, I think he met with some missionaries because where we, our village, where our village is located in Quara, it was a point where missionaries lived. So mm. we still have the, the mission estate. And he met with missionaries, and I'm sure they, they talked a lot about the United States. So he moved to the U.S. back in 19, I think, 69. Mm-hmm. No, 1970. He moved to the United States in 1970 because I was born 
1970 when he wasn't around. So mom was pregnant. She had me in Nigeria before coming to the U.S. So Mm -hmm. he came for education. My mom came to meet him and then she got inspired to go to school. Mm -hmm. So she decided to do her first and second degree here in Norman at the University of Oklahoma. So education brought us here. So it's only right that that same education that we received, we shared with others so that they too can understand the quality of education that is needed to make a, a positive impact in the world. Yes, 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 indeed, indeed. So I kind of, you've kind of answered this to some extent, um, a little bit of kind of the why, the where of, but how did Oklahoma become the place where your family settled? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Is that we started in Iowa and it was very cold, by the way, in Iowa. And I think he met up with somebody that said, come to University of Oklahoma. Come okay. to Oklahoma, you like the place. It's you know, it's like Nigeria, kind of. It's not very metropolitan. It's right. more like a country vibe or you know, suburban vibe type of thing. And right. when they moved here, they just fell in love with the place and with the people. Okay. So recently had some visitors from Nigeria, and when they came here, and they're they're used to New York and Las Vegas and California. So when they came to Oklahoma, the man said, Man, this place is peaceful that this is a very nice place to live. So I guess it's the best of both worlds. It's quiet. It's not as busy yeah. as the bigger cities in town. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, I grew up playing soccer. I grew up, you know, loving to read and get involved in activities. So it was just a nice place to be. Yeah, I can imagine. My sister, she lived in Oklahoma for several years because her husband was from Oklahoma. So I know a little bit about that part of the country from Stillwater to Tulsa. Oh, cool. That's right. So you know Oklahoma very well then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have to say it is pleasant. Just, I mean, weather-wise, it's it's very pleasant and it's not the extremes of the seasons or or more Mm -hmm. so the winter. So that makes it Mm -hmm. um, nice and bearable. And particularly, yeah, it's a softer landing weather-wise for us tropical (laughs) natives. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you then my local speak question. And this is something that could be local to your experience in Oklahoma or to something that is a local speak in Nigeria. And so what I ask is to tell us a word, a phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as a local speak. Okay. When I was um, doing my NYC in Nigeria, which is a national service that you do for the country after you finish the university. I remember, and most youths, we don't take it seriously. We like absconding from work and messing around and not doing <laughs> the right thing. Mm-hmm. So that morning in, in the household I was brought up in, when you wake up in the morning, you all read the Bible together and mm-hmm. you pray together and you share information and you know what's going on in your life type of stuff. So we got up in the morning. We do it in the morning and in the evenings. So we got up early in the morning. We did the devotion and I prepared breakfast and I went straight back to my room. Mm-hmm. So my mom was, pre- normally my mom and I would go together. She would drop me off where I was doing. I was serving at a bank and then she would go to work. So she popped her head in the room and she said, why aren't you ready for work? And I looked at her and I said, I'm doing national service, mom. It's not serious. I don't have to go to work every day. And she looked at me. I mean, (laughs) you just finished praying. Child of God, (laughs) you're not doing your work, you know? And she said these words that I I tell everyone where I work. And she said, work as unto God and not as unto man. Mm -hmm. Woo, man, that hit me hard. Mm -hmm. And I got up immediately, put on my clothes. And from that day forward, I can proudly say that I'm usually the first person in the office and the last person to leave. Mm. And if you don't have a job for me, you have to find something for me to do because I will not sit there and do nothing for the whole day. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that has motivated me throughout my life. So I'm a workaholic. Yes, I know. I'm passionate about what I do, yes, because I now know that I'm not working for just an ordinary man. 
I'm working for a higher authority. Mm-hmm. So when I when I first started working with Sesame Workshop, I remember the day they asked us to meet in, in USAID. And when I got to USAID, there was this lady there, Dr. Sandy Ojikutu. She's an American married to um, a Nigerian. And she basically knew my whole family because we worked with her in different capacities for some odd reason. My older brother was working at the embassy, so he trained her on how to use the computer. My mother is a teacher. She was working at the National Commission for Colleges of Education as a deputy director. So Sandy would use her for some of her um, projects to do training. And then I came across her when I started working for USAID because she was in charge of education. So that day when we went into the office, she introduced me to Sesame Workshop, who I was working for. Mm. And I just looked at her and she said, I don't know if you know BC, but if you're looking for somebody with integrity, somebody that will work hard, that will be passionate for, and she went on and on. And I was like, wow. So I didn't need to tell them about myself because there's this lady who happened to have been following my progress, I guess. And she was able to say those things. And I knew for a fact that that means I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And it made me feel more passionate about the work that I do. And that's why I take it with all sincerity, with all seriousness. So that's my motivation. Those are my words. Work as unto God and not as unto man. Okay. That, and that is a global, a global sentiment. You know, when you said that every time you would go, you would make sure someone had something for you. If someone, you would, and I find that unfortunately our youth, enough of them don't have that, that capacity no, or that, that thought process. And so I worry. And so I want to talk more about exactly the work that you have done with Sesame Squared through the years, because how we actually met, background folks. Um, so I know BC through my capacity is LEAP, and we actually have a, a standing MOU with Sesame Workshop, Sesame Square, to do some activations in Ghana when we eventually get the funding to do so. But fingers crossed that's going to happen very soon. And so where we stood was that we wanted to do local language instruction using Sesame as a model in Ghana. And BC and her team had already started that in Nigeria. And so that's where we, we met and intersected and, and the, the best practices that they were implementing and the project formation and all of those things is where we started to understand more about the space in Africa and Nigeria and generally throughout kind of thinking diaspora wise. So BC, tell us a little bit more about the fruition of Sesame Square because I feel like that was the first Sub-Saharan uh, well, aside from Takalani, which is in South Africa, but so I want to say first West African effort by Sesame Workshop to initiate a program. Okay, so Sesame Square came to being after a first the first project. We had a project before then, Adventures of Kami and Big Bird. Mm-hmm. And the, the thrust was about trying to educate early learners about HIV AIDS and the importance of staying away from other people's blood and not getting infected, not if they were touched or um, inappropriately by people older than them, what they're supposed to do. And we talked about losing somebody in their family to such a disease and how to cope, so cope mechanisms. And I think we did a very good job because we use puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, we use stick puppets, actually, to tell stories because those are some things that you can't it's very difficult to discuss with children at that age. We're talking about ages three to five. So we use puppets to tell lots of stories and we gave them puppets to tell us stories. And unfortunately, we heard things that we thought we would never hear before. Mm. And we never thought we'd hear in our lives how adults who are supposed to protect children mm. were not protecting the children. Mm-hmm. We even heard about just, just some terrible things. And they were telling us the stories and they were telling the teachers the stories. And when the teachers related and they told us some of the things they learned, it was, you know, it was like a weep fest. We were very, very upset about it. But at least now they had ways of connecting to adults, ways of going to people who are safe and they're ready to protect them. And we had situations like that about two girls that I can remember in Abuja itself. And at the end of the day, the community trained them. The community helped them. And um, and they were able to at least graduate primary school. So from there, USAID noticed that we had this 
connection with the community. And that's when Sesame Square came to being. They decided that this is the opportune time for them to make an impact in Nigeria. And we developed 78 video segments that were aired on TV through from 2011 up to date. It's still being aired on TV. And when it was aired in Kano State, which is in the North and Nasara State, through NTA, the local education authority contacted us. No, the television authority, sorry. The local television authority um, contacted us and said, we need this. We need this episode in the local dialect in the North because it's making an impact. We had over 3 million children watching the show that we could account for. And I'm sure there are many, there were many more millions that we couldn't account for. And the teachers were using it in the classrooms and it was making an impact. We're able to do an external study and the increment in literacy was noticed. I can't remember the percentage precisely. So the Northerners were like, okay, English is going well in the Southern parts of the country. Can you do this for us in Hausa? We would like to have this. And USID heard their cry and decided to extend the project. So we translated half of the video segments into Hausa and the Northern states, about 13 of them contacted us and asked us to give them the 38 episodes. And then USID decided, let's, let's go a step further. Let's develop some of the other materials that we were giving schools and translate them to Hausa as well. So we translated the storybook into Hausa. We translated the training manual into Hausa and all these other add-on materials. Then Ariwa 24, a big, the latest network, television network for not just Nigeria, but all West African Hausa speaking countries mm. approached us and said, those 38 episodes that you translate into Hausa, we want to air it on our own television station so that we can reach children in other countries that speak the language. And he gave it to them. And apparently, mm-hmm. presently, they're trying to get the other 38 episodes as well mm-hmm. so that they will translate it into Hausa mm-hmm. and they will have the full 78 episodes on air. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that some funders might come and give us some more money so that we can produce more of these educational television programs. Right. So, yeah, so that's where we're at right now when it comes to building the capacity of our teachers to train these children and for the children to have access to this television program that teaches them the foundational topics um, in reading and in mathematics. Nice. And then the most interesting thing is that we also <laughs> included our culture. Right. So in, in the program, you will see the children kneeling down. In, you know, if that's, their, if that's the way they greet themselves in Yoruba culture, we have the Hausa children also bending and they're wearing the Nigerian outfits. So it, it brings it home you know, and and just proud. So being in the industry and seeing the lack of African faces for children in the content that's delivered to them, you know, it's like very much, I want to applaud those networks that are seeking it and wanting it and and hopefully supporting you all to develop more. But I want you to talk a little bit more about Hausa because Hausa is an important language in the West African region and even a little bit beyond West Africa. So tell us a little bit more about Hausa and, and why that was so important besides the demand for it, but the reach of it. Yeah, you know, in, in Nigeria, the Hausa-speaking community, they're mostly found in the North. Mm-hmm. And the religion in the North is Islam. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Nigeria is that we look at each other as brother and sister regardless of where you're from. I know that there's been some infractions here and there, but ultimately we're all one. And since we're one, we would like to all move at the same pace. Now, the people in the North, now this is my view. Mm-hmm. The people in the North, they bit like the people all over, to be honest. The interaction between adults and children in Africa or in Nigeria is very different from like in the United States, where your mother will sit and you probably go and lay your head in your in her lap. You, you have a nice discussion. You interact. You play together. You can pretend to be a fairy. Your mother too will pretend to be a grasshopper and you guys will play together and have a wonderful time. In Nigeria, that's not our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, that interaction is not our culture. 
Fortunately for the southern part of Nigeria, we have a lot of expatriates. We have a lot of foreign um, infusion into the culture. So you're seeing a change in that region. But in the north, it's not like that. It's still a little bit separate, the interaction between parents and children. And it's part of the Hausa culture. So we wanted to find a way whereby we will subtly get entrenched parents and children to work together, to play together. So that's why the television program is important. When it's on TV, it's at home. Mm -hmm. So your parents are there. Mm -hmm. So they see what you're watching. They can ask you questions. They can integrate some of the activities that they see on TV into real life. And we don't want to change anybody's culture, but we want to change the interaction between adults and children, between mother and child, between father and children. We want them to have a relationship that they can build on in the future that will strengthen the connection between them Mm -hmm. and at the same time encourage their children to learn more. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I've realized and I'm looking for ways to ensure that this happens. So if it happens in the North, as it's happening in the South, we'll see that the the way people will relate with one another will be different, will be more positive. And if you start from the level we're starting, which is ages three, mm-hmm. it's at the foundation level. And mm-hmm. the hope is that it will continue to grow and it will continue to elevate the perceptions and the relationships that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's key is that there's a culture of language, right? Yes. And yes. so that is at the, the heart of this idea of like, how do you respect culture and recognize a language, but then teach different ways of using vocabulary and using language to activate action? Recently, we had to do some research Mm-hmm. And we were doing some research and we wanted to go to, well, we actually went to the camps, the IDP camps. Mm-hmm. And one of the camps was predominantly Hausa speaking. Mm-hmm. Another camp was Kanuri. So we had to translate the some new episodes that we're making for Sesame. They're, they're brand new. And it was actually targeting international, I mean, different countries. So it's an international program so that they can use it in more than one country mm-hmm. and in more than one language. Mm-hmm. So there's Swahili. It was tested in Swahili. It was tested in Hausa. It was tested in Kanuri and some other languages. There's a new program. It was also tested in Yoruba. Okay. But the interesting thing was that when the Kanuri group, when they watched the Sesame program in their language, they said the mothers, okay, we did it in diet. So we included guardians. Mm-hmm. So guardians and their children were watching together. Okay. So when they heard it in their language, the guardians, they held their mouth and they're like, what? This is in our language? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and they kept on asking us at the office, when the parents kept on saying that it taught them to love one another. And they're like, but that wasn't the objective of the program. And we said that because it's in their language. Right. They could hear it. because it's in their language and they could hear it, the emotional connection was higher than the academic connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even though they were teaching the children to learn their ABCs or their one, two, threes, in the program, they were, I think there was a child in a wheelchair and they were helping the child. And that's what they were looking at. They were thinking, wow. That's the emotional contact was more important to them than the academic. And that's what your native tongue does. It brings in closer. So you jump all those hurdles, all those things in the way. And even the the, the messages that you might think you're supposed to be putting out there, what they saw was love. Because if you have a, a language, your own traditional language, and you want to communicate something that will pierce the heart, You don't use the foreign language to do that. You use your native tongue to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm very grateful for. Even though we grew up in the U.S., my parents spoke only Yoruba to us. So I understand it very well. Mm -hmm. And if my mom wants to tell me something that she really wants to hit home, 
she says it in her language. She doesn't say it in English. So right. that draws children closer to you. Mm-hmm. When you speak that language, it's like there's an extra connection with the person that is speaking it. Right, right, of course, most definitely. And so, and studies also show that when children learn first in their native mother tongue, they are that much more successful. And yes. so do you all have in your experience, data that has qualified that in Nigeria, like those that are learning in Hausa um, versus those who are learning? Because in Ghana, we have it, right? We've seen that influence policy that created a program that unfortunately isn't necessarily very well implemented, partially because of some of the areas that you work in is that the teachers need training. So in your work and experience, have you seen the literacy levels change or improve based on the work that you've done in local language? Okay, now, Sesame, we've never measured that. Okay. And I'm going to write it down right now mm-hmm. because I think that's something that we missed. We should have done that when we were doing the Hausa program. But in another project before I joined Sesame, they did. Okay. And there was a study in Nigeria and they found out that it, it, it was true. But there's so many challenges facing the policy. There's a policy in Nigeria that mm-hmm. states that all the formative years should be taught in the language of the environment. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the North is that they have a lack of literature for teachers to use. Yeah. So you have a policy, but you can't implement it because you don't have the materials needed. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. In the Yoruba side of Nigeria, they have more but they don't have enough as well. Mm-hmm. But they have more than in the North. So there was a push by USAID. There's another project. They had a couple of projects that came up. The Northern Education Initiative. They have one called RARA. And even during the pandemic, they produced materials for the North mm. for them to use in schools. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. I think they produced some big books. You know those big books that, you yes. use, that teachers mm-hmm. used to read to you when you're... Mm-hmm. They produced some big books mm-hmm. for them in Hausa. They produced some other literature for the children in the schools, and they actually um, implemented them. So I will try and hit up Nuruddin, who was in charge of the project, and find mm-hmm. out the impact it made and see what happened. But because they saw there was a need, they were trying to fill that need. And then let's be honest, our language is disappearing. And yes. that's a scary thing to me. Yes, I think it's important because I feel that if culture becomes eroded, there'll be issues that we will face in the future. And I don't want it to disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we necessarily have to, and that was a tool that was used, obviously, to yes. control people and control their minds in the way that they progress in the world. So it is incumbent upon us now to take that power back with our local languages. I, I tried to explain to somebody once mm-hmm. about the use of the local language to teach children. You know, when you're trying to teach a second language mm-hmm. and you're trying to teach a child to say this is a ball and you want them to know this is a ball and they don't understand what a ball is then you have to say in their language what it is and then the children will now make the connection mm-hmm. so that's why you build off of the local language mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. teach a child a new concept in a vacuum mm-hmm. it won't work Exactly, exactly. So now let's talk about who's doing that work. So tell us more about your work training teachers and just some of your thoughts on how do we recruit and maintain a lot of the teachers and kind of expand the concept because you mentioned you were talking to guardians in one level. What are some of the innovative ways that you've seen and are putting into practice to support the classroom, whether it's through teachers as well as through others? Now, one of the things that I learned long ago is that you can't give out what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So luckily for me, all the people that work with me, including myself, we are teachers. We've been teaching. I've taught at all levels. I've taught in early years, primary years, and even in high school. And I think most of the people who who work with me as a trainer have done the same thing. So one of the things we've done is that our trainings are like classrooms. Mm-hmm. So when we're conducting a training, we're actually a teacher in a class. So all the little tricks that we use as a teacher, we use the same thing when we're doing the training. So when you come into our training hall, um, you will find a happy face and a sad face. 
with the names of all the participants on the happy face. You'll find a chart that has stars, star chart. You will find activity corners. These are the things that we feel should be in classrooms. You'll find a mat so that we can do story time. So when you come into the classroom, you'll see your name on that smiley face and you'll be happy. And then we tell you that when you misbehave, we put your name on the sad face. Mm -hmm. And when you're on the sad face, you, you may not be there for long. Once you begin to do good, you go back to the smiley face. But at the end of the day, if your name is still on the sad face, on the star chart, you get a red star. And if it's on the smiley face, you get a blue star. When we do this, and believe me, it works in... <laughs> we do workshops. <laughs> you always find somebody in a workshop that will break the rules. Maybe they'll pick up their phone and talk to somebody while the workshop is going on. And we don't shout. We don't make noise. We just walk up to their name, pick their name, and put it in start. And if you see the immediate reaction, and you find out that during the day, the participant will come and meet you and say, uh, excuse me, miss, <laughs> can you put my name back on the <laughs> And then we'll tell them, well, you have to do something good. Then we can move your, you know, if you can promise not to pick up your phone again until the end of the day, we'll move, you know. So, it, so when we show them how to use these things, while we're doing the workshop, they mm -hmm. begin to learn. Mm -hmm. So if we want to teach them the dynamics of working in a group, they will work in a group. Mm -hmm. If you want to teach them that in every group you have a facilitator, you have a timekeeper, you have a motiv uh, motivator, we make sure that they do that in their group. So when they take it to the classroom, it's simple because they've done it before. Yeah. So another thing that we do that might be different from the trainings that I've attended is that when we're training to teachers, before we leave them, we take them into the classroom. Mm. It's one thing to practice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with adults is entirely different when you have real children. Mm -hmm. So when they're saying, oh, this is easy to do. Oh, we can do this. We can do this. We say, okay, yeah. on the last day, we go to the classroom and then they come back and they'll say, man, that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the good thing is it gives them an opportunity to practice what they have learned. So yeah. we make sure that they develop their own materials too. So they'll, they will have their ha happy faces, their sad faces, their star chart, their ABC line in the classroom, their number chart, their pocket chart. We make sure they develop everything they need mm -hmm. before they leave the workshop. So mm -hmm. first of all, the workshop is just like the classroom. We practice the things we want them to do exactly in the classroom. We give them an opportunity to test it in a real classroom after they've tested it on themselves a couple of times. And then we give them an opportunity to give us feedback. So they'll tell us what they're, we always say, give us two stars and a wish. Two stars meaning what went well, the two things that you think you did well, or the two things, if you're observing, the two things that you think the person that was teaching did well, and tell us what you wish they could do better at, or tell us what you wish you could do better at. And then it helps them to begin to internalize this, their trainings, and to ensure that they too are getting what they need. Because if we don't give them the right equipment, when they go into the classroom, they will not be able to achieve the results that we are expecting. I like that model, and it's really working well for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nice, nice, nice. And so are most of the teachers that you're training from private schools? Do you have a good amount of subscribers from public schools as well? Yes. So in Nigeria, we work with public schools and integrated Islamia schools. So integrated Islamia schools mean that they have a teacher, they have teachers that are teaching English and mathematics from the government. So we work mm -hmm. with those schools in Nigeria. In Ghana, we work with low-income private schools. So okay. we work with teachers who are qualified and we work with teachers who are just getting out of high school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the training that we try to put together is the type of training that can reach and build the capacity of people who have never taught before in their lives. Nice. Nice. Which is important. Mm -hmm. right? It reminds me a little bit about my Teach for America training. <laughs> so we were these college graduates that went into a five or six week training where we were baptized by fire. So we had like a week of courses <laughs> <laughs> and then we spent the summer teaching a summer program. And so, yeah, that's my yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. very similar. Yeah. So I, I think it was effective. It worked for me. So how many teachers do you think you've trained over the years? Ooh. A lot. 
thousands. Yes. <laughs> That's an awesome number. That's what I wanted to, I wanted to hear. Like, I know it's in the thousands. So Thousands. Yeah. Tens of thousands. Because in Nigeria alone, oh my goodness, we worked in six states. Oh, okay. And we worked with um, quite a number of schools. Yeah. So and then in Ghana too, I mean, Tamale, Cape Coast, Accra, we've been all over. Yeah. So we've worked in quite a number of schools. And then we've worked in Mali. We've worked in Niger. Yeah. Also with teachers and schools. And I think the next step, which is the new program that we're going to be doing in Nigeria mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. in January. Okay. We're going to be working with parents. Okay. And, um, okay. Tell us more about that. Tell us more. The project is going to be funded by Lego. Okay. And one of the things that I think informed this project was the fact that during the COVID, mm-hmm. um, a lot of schools, especially in Nigeria, just shut down. Public mm-hmm. schools shut down mm-hmm. because they didn't have the capacity to do any sort of teaching virtually or by extension. They were just lost. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to, you know, just find out if there's a way that we can equip parents who are uneducated mm-hmm. at home to support their children, the children's education. Mm-hmm. And we would build their capacity to be able to do it. Simple things. You know, one of the things we ask ourselves is that even if a parent has not been to school before, they know their numbers. They know how to add and subtract because they go to the market. Mm-hmm. They know if something is hot or cold. They know if something is heavy or light. Mm-hmm. They know their basic colors. They know if something is rough or smooth. So you see, there's a lot of things that parents actually know, even mm-hmm. though they didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. And since they're supporting the children in the foundation years, they can support learning at home. Yeah. So it's as simple as telling the parents that today your child in school learned the three primary colors, which are blue. Am I right? Yeah, red, blue, green. <laughs> remember. Oh wait, no, 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 no. It's not. So, it's not um, green because green. I think green, it's red, blue, and yellow. Those are the three. red, blue, and yellow. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, because blue and yellow make green. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, we we can tell them beforehand in a book. We show them the three colors, mm-hmm. and we will tell them that can you bring out things with these three colors and hide them around the house, hide them around your compound, hide them outside in a grassy area. And then when your children come home, you show them the color and you ask them to go and look for these colors and bring them back. Mm-hmm. Isn't that simple? Very, yeah. Yeah. Or we can tell them to get water from your pot, your drinking pot, and boil some water. And then tell your child to look at the two cups and you'll see steam coming from one cup and you see another cup that there's no steam. So tell them that the one that steam is coming from is hot. And the one where there's no steam is cold, you yeah. know? So yeah. you can you could build the capacity. And these parents will probably be wondering, oh, you mean this is what they're doing in school? I can help my <laughs> child at home, you know? Yeah. And of course, it's going to be done in their language. So sure. Yes. yes. Um, we've decided on, I think, Hausa and Kanuri again, or the Fulani language. We'll find out when we begin to do our um, needs assessment. Okay. But these are little things that we plan to do. And so the idea is to have the lessons are going to be, I think they're going to be um, SMS recorded. Based. They're going oh, to be, okay. there's going to be some videos for them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that they will know what is expected of them and the things they're supposed to do. And then we're going to develop some books, training manuals, and of course a book for them in their native language as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we try to do when we develop these materials is that we make sure that there are pictures so mm-hmm. that if you can't read, you yeah. can picture read. Mm-hmm. So we'll try and make sure that all our information to the parents, if they cannot read, they'll be able to picture read and know what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it'll make it easier. Then at the same time in the classrooms, we're going to help our teachers as well. Um, the TFET training that we did in Ghana, which is like the foundation for all the trainings we're doing now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, going to, um, we're going to pick out some of the topics there. And we're going to make it simple for them. And we're going to create new videos for them so that they can help the children in school Mm -hmm. and they can develop a lesson in such a way that it can transcend to the home as well. Right. We're going to make sure that the lesson plans are going to be able to help the parents at home 
to mm-hmm. support the children's learning from that side. So they'll be learning from home and learning from school. And in case, God forbid, another pandemic or anything comes, we would have built the parents' capacity to be able to help and assist the children to learn at home. Right. Nice. And so just question wise, in terms of reaching those parents and how are you reaching them? How are you recruiting them? How do they find your programs? So what we do normally is we look for if we're working in different states, we make sure to have a state team leader, a coordinator Mm -hmm. who will be working with the local education authority. And then they'll be working with school based management committees. Okay. So, you know, they have PTAs and now yeah. they have school-based management committees. Mm-hmm. So it's within that, it's within those meetings that we'll be able to look for parents. We'll ask them to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they don't, I'm sure they will volunteer or oh, we'll yeah. select them or we'll yeah. encourage them mm-hmm. so that they can be part of the, the pilot program. So we're going to test this out mm-hmm. for the next um, year and a half and see okay. how it goes. Okay. And if it goes well, which we're hoping that it will, we will then extend it to other parts of the country. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. I'm looking forward to that. That was one of the burning things in my mind throughout COVID is, oh my gosh, these parents, they're suffering. And so in turn, the children are suffering. And this is a generation that we need to think differently. We need them to be different. We need them to be. So whether it's the basics, as you're saying, or even teaching them how to use technology, because I think that's a big step that we have actually forgotten because we have these devices, we have these smartphones, we have these things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. most people don't know how to use all the functions. They basically mm-hmm. know how to use the phone and maybe WhatsApp or Facebook, but we need more hands-on on that. And so hopefully engaging parents on this early foundational learning will encourage them and show them that there's so much more that they can do once they are able to access more knowledge. Well, so this is kind of a good segue into my mindset hack question. And so we want to know what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you know, or one that you can imagine, or one that you practice. Okay, I'll tell you, my you're okay. just going to laugh. Okay, okay, this happened This happened during the COVID era in the U.S. Now, during that era, I don't know if you heard about it, but we trained all the colleges in Ghana, teachers, the lecturers, all the lecturers, lecturing student teachers mm-hmm. on early education mm-hmm. in all the colleges. So we had 80, we're, wow. we're doing virtual training for about 80 lecturers in Ghana from November to December. And it was okay. 14 days online, but we okay. had breaks in between. Okay. And it was unexpected. Uh-huh. So we had to revamp the training manual so that it would be a virtual training manual and not the face-to-face. So we didn't know that it was going to be very different, but we found out that it had to be different. Mm-hmm. So when I got stuck... <laughs> I joined a group called Shipped. Shipped. I don't know if you know Shipped. No. Okay. So Shipped is a organization where you can buy food. You can order for food and clothes online. Okay. Okay. And it gets delivered to you. Okay. Okay. So I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. So what Mm -hmm. I did was I became a shipter. I would go and buy food or clothes or whatever it is. I would do shopping for people and go and deliver it. Uh-huh. So oh. anytime I get stuck, and anytime you felt like it, I would just carry the card, I would go online, and I would look for somebody that wants lots of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So I would go to Target. It's usually yeah. Target. I'll go to Target, or I'll go to, what was the other one? I can't remember the other one, but Target usually, and I'll go and shop. And then I will shop and shop and shop and shop and shop and have the time of my life. I found some new great food items. Yeah. And then I would deliver it and drop it. And then I'll go home and I'll start my work again. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a great one. That was do, fun. Do good. Yeah. Like really active fun. action. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good because I wasn't spending my money. I was spending somebody else's uh-huh, money. Uh-huh. So it, you know, and I and they would tip me very well. But it was just to get out of that space. I needed to do something completely different. Yeah. And that's what I did. But yeah. in Nigeria, let me think. What do I do? Mm, I think it would probably be a music thing or I read a lot. You know, okay. I read a lot. Okay. So reading too, but that's usually later in the evening. But during the day, I just stand up and, oh, and I make lots of noise. Okay, so there's something about me. When I when I get to that point, we call it ETC, end of thinking capacity. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a speaker in my office. So mm-hmm. I turn up the switch 
and it's a dancing singing fest okay so, and then of course i'll get other people i'll pull other people into it <laughs> whether they party. like it or not <laughs> the and, small yeah, that's, party that's the nigerian thing but here in the okay. u.s i'll do shipped Okay, nice. That that's a fun. good one. So for those who want to do something that's completely <laughs> different and doing good for others, shift is an option. Um, so you mentioned that you, in your spare time, you read a lot because we also want to know who is BC that's not the workaholic that you mentioned that in her private space. So are you, uh, you said you're a reader. Are you also a watcher or a listener? Oh, I'm a watcher. Hmm. Okay. So, you, so give us a few of your favorite reads and a few of your favorite watches. Okay. Huh. Do I have a favorite? Mm. Or maybe maybe recent. Recent, not read to me. Okay, okay, recent. Okay. So right now in the US, I don't have children of my own, mm -hmm. but I have four kids from Nigeria that are staying with me. Okay. And they're like my kids. Mm -hmm. So they drive me crazy. <laughs> so one of them has to read 12 books okay. for first and second term, six for second term. So one of the books he had to read was Trevor Noah's. Oh. Well, he didn't have to read it. He had to read a, a biography, an autobiography. Okay. So he saw Trevor Noah's autobiography at Barnes & Noble. Okay. So we bought the book. Uh -huh. And I wasn't sure if he was reading it. So what I decided to do was I downloaded the Audible. Yes. So you knew what was going on. You've got to read this book. Florence, yeah. you've got to read this book. Yeah, it's on my it list. <laughs> it is funny. It's sad in some places, but it's ultimately just you'll just laugh your head off. Yeah, that one is born. It's born. Um, born a crime. Yes, yes, that's mm -hmm. the one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The first, if you read the first chapter, it mm -hmm. will suck you in. Okay. The first chapter had to do with the mother throwing him out of a moving bus. Oh, oh yeah, that's <laughs> I can see that's a good a good catcher. <laughs> The, the I think the second chapter had to do with him pooing in the kitchen and throwing it in the dustbin. And then because they found it later on and he refused to confess, they had to call people to come and pray because they thought it was a demon that had come into the house. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to read his book. Okay. It's fascinating. We'll that one on the list. Yeah. I won't reveal okay. more. I won't reveal okay. more so that you enjoy it. Okay. And then my watches. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh gosh, these the boys love me because it's got to be action, it's yeah. got to be shooting, okay, it's got to be cars flipping over, okay. It could be sci-fi, it could be the one I watched that I made everybody watch yesterday uh -huh. was is it from Paris with Love? Okay, it had to yeah. be John Travolta. Yeah, I made everybody watch it last night <laughs> because I watched it and I found it so fun and funny because John Travolta can be so crazy. But those are the type of action flicks that I like. I'm not okay. too sentimental. I can read a you know a romance novel just to find that you know, love yeah. and connection. <laughs> but give me Comedy. an action. Yeah, yeah, an action. Okay. Or even nice. some dragons. Throw some dragons in there and make it an adventure thing. I'll watch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll send you a list of some of the ones that I've been Please gathering do. and collecting. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will. BC, this has been so fun. I'm so glad we got to catch up and find out more about the work that you're doing. Thank um, you so much. Thank you because you're doing the you're doing the heavy lift because education is the answer. We need it so 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 much. Mm -hmm. So best of luck to you on the coming project. Thank you so much, Florence. And expansion. And so I'm looking forward to doing something with you. We've got to do something. We have to. We will. I'm focused on the fundraising. So you okay. know, when you talk about Lego and all those things, I'm knocking on doors. So good, soon, good. Soon, 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 soon. So before we go, do you have any last words for our listeners? Yeah, I think I can't think of what to say except for the future is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And it's what we put in to our children. It's going to affect us mm -hmm. as well as mm -hmm. we get older. So it's important not to do it for ourselves, but to do it for them. Let's raise a generation that will know that they're their brother's keeper and that everything they say and do really matters. And mm -hmm. let's try and use our energy and our strength while we have them to put in some good into this world and to ensure that it affects people positively, especially the children. 
I love that. That's those are great last words for for today. Thank you so much. So where Thank do we find you? Where do we find you? <laughs> you can find me online. <laughs> it was right my name. Are you on Twitter? Are you? Um, on I, I'm on Twitter. I'm on um, LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Okay. On most of the social media. But I have to confess, I I don't put much out there. But I know there's a need to. Yes. I've realized that people need to know what you're doing to help and encourage others to do the same thing. Yeah. So I'm going yeah. to one of my, I don't do resolutions, mm -hmm. but one of the things that I realize I need to do in the upcoming year is to share what we're doing yes. because people might want to be a part of it. Yeah. That's what I really would like. So I'm going to hold you to that because we're going to put your information in the show notes. And, Go ahead. and I will share whatever, whatever you share, I will share. Okay. I just really Thank am so happy to share what the great works that the local citizens that I've spoken to now almost two years are providing. So listeners, this has been another episode of Global Citizens. You can catch us with new episodes each and every Tuesday at www.globalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So please, Send us a message. Let us know you're listening. Recommend a guest. We always love that. Share and subscribe. If you leave a review, it also helps other people find the podcast. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, if you leave a review, other people can find us. Um, we just want to give good content, folks. So if you can, share. And until next time, bye for now. <laughs>